I told you today, so we have now finished the emotion series, uh, and I was all emotional about it, so I decided that I would focus in on two unique emotions that, one, I just think we're not generally familiar with. It's mentioned, um, depending on what version you're using, you could probably say around 140 to 160 times, the Bible mentions the word fear, right? And just depending on your version that you're using, it would use that in the translation so somewhere, this is called the 150 mark. So it's used a lot. I think a lot of times as believers, we read that, and we don't really know what to do with it sometimes. Because we think, wait a minute, when you hear the word fear, one side is you just think afraid. And you're thinking, so is all of my life just supposed to be, I'm afraid of God? But then you would have the other side that you've heard people go, well, that word Fear, really think of that as awe, right? And uh, that you're in awe of God. And, and then it's almost seemed like fear, the fear of God has been sanitized and changed into a different meaning. And so people read their scriptures and they might go, I'm, I need a little bit more help. What does it mean to fear God? I just need a little help. So we're going to look at that. So the emotion series is officially done. However, we're going to look at this one emotion of the blessings of fearing the Lord. The blessing of fearing the Lord. And so we're going to look at that, that emotion of fear. Uh, and then, more than likely, we'll look at the emotion of anger, because I, I think we need that. Um, and then we'll see where we're going to go. We'll shortly be getting to a New Testament study. But let's look at the blessings of fearing the Lord. And doesn't that sound like an oxymoron? Blessing, fear the Lord, those two things. Doesn't it seem like that can't exactly go together? But it really does. When you read the scriptures and you look at the totality of it, you find that there is blessings in fearing the Lord. Now, don't worry. I'm going to define fearing the Lord for you here in just a little bit. But why not hold you into, in suspense, right? So I will tell you this. I don't think I hear this phrase, but I heard this a little bit. Um, back in the early days when I became a follower of Jesus Christ in 98, I still remember in the church that I was in, Faith Baptist Church of Mesquite, that I would hear the phrase, well, that's a God-fearing person. Well, she's a God-fearing person. Well, he's a God-fearing person. I have to be honest with you. I don't hear that phrase anymore. I don't know how long it's been since I've heard anybody refer to anybody as a God-fearing person. And if I did, I would suspect that they would kind of feel like they need to make an explanation of sanitizing. Like, well, I, I don't mean God-fearing as in afraid. I just mean, you know, God is awesome. And I would tell you that's actually one aspect of fearing God, but it's more nuanced than that. But the scriptures over and over describe that it's a blessing to fear the Lord. This is a blessed way, a blessed position in life to fear the Lord. If someone were to say about you or I, Nick is a God-fearing person, that is a positive. That's a good thing. So let's look at this subject. 150 times we find this word fear, and many times it's in reference to, to fearing God, um, sometimes, in, in, depending on the context of where that word fear is mentioned, there's different aspects of fear. Sometimes when that word fear is mentioned, there actually is an afraidness, an afraidness of God's judgment and justice for those not in Christ, um, for those whose sins have not been confessed and forgiven. Sometimes that a fear of God in context is God's hand of discipline for believers, but there's an afraidness in this. For instance, Christians should be afraid of the disciplined hand of the Lord 
like they would a benevolent father. We see that in Hebrews chapter 12. But also we see some other aspects that fear also has this idea of awe. It does have that. An awesomeness. That word awe has the idea of awesomeness. The awesomeness of the infinite God in his complete majesty, in his holiness, in his glory. He is infinite in his infinite love displayed through the work of the cross. So there is an awe that is a part of fearing the Lord. So one of the hopes is, as we'll get to a definition, and I'm already starting to give some to you, is there, when you think of the word fear, especially the fear of God, it's a very nuanced meaning. And depending on your context, depending where you're reading at it, you have different aspects of it, different aspects of afraidness and terror, but then also awesomeness and reverence. So we're going to look a little bit how to piece all that together. But first, I just want to do this. I want to take and go through some scriptures in your Bible, and I will look at the idea of first, why will we explore this topic? It doesn't sound exciting, does it? Hey, come to church with me. We're going to talk about fearing the Lord, all right? That doesn't sound like if you're a guest and you're, hey, man, I want to check out a church. And, uh, oh, man, this might be the last time I visit this church. We're talking about fearing the Lord. But, man, it's, it's in the scriptures a lot. And we're calling this the blessing of fearing the Lord. I don't want to come across to you just as this idea of, like, fear the Lord. That's it. Fear him. I want to come across as this is actually a blessed thing. And a full orb understanding of the fear of the Lord in the scriptures from his holiness, his majesty, fearing his discipline for believers. If you're not a believer, I want you. And it's a good thing. You should fear the condemnation of hell. You should fear the holy wrath of God being poured out on you for your sins if you are not in Christ. You should be afraid of that. That is not a position that anybody wants to be in. For walking in willful sin, I want you. The scriptures want you to fear God, if you're a follower, fear him. In fact, I would say one of the reasons that we keep as believers persisting in sin is we've stopped fearing God's hand of discipline. We have seen the cross as something that has forgiven us of our sin, but then has put God in some disposition of a kindly old grandpa that just winks at the mischievousness of his kids, right? And I just say that because it just seems like when you get to the grandparent phase, I mean, you've seen this, haven't you? Where your parents, your grandkids do something, they think it's cute, and you're just thinking to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where were you when I was growing up? Like, it, it did not work like this at all. We sometimes see God like that. Like, he's okay with our disobedience. But I would say if we think he's okay with our disobedience as children of God, we don't know the scriptures very well, and we're not properly fearing the Lord and we're missing out on blessings. It's blessed to fear the Lord. Let's look at some scriptures. There's so many, and we'll look at many as we kind of go through the text. But you may or may not have time to flip to some of these. There's some that I'm going to give you time to flip through your Bible or your smartphone. One would be this, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16. In Proverbs 15, 16, I want to just explore the idea that it's a blessing to fear the Lord. Why is this even subject worth exploring? Why is it even worth doing a series? And how many sermons is this series going to be? I'm hoping four, maybe three, maybe five. Who knows? Um, but it won't, I, I can't go, I can't go 90 like minor prophets, right? Man, we'd be really be fearing the Lord. I mean, there, if we're dealing with around 150 scriptures, we can make this 150 messages, right? Just cover one scripture at a time. 
You know, it would be the definitive fear of God message series. Y'all would talk about, do you remember when you started coming to the church? Yeah, about message 50 on the fear of God. When did you come? I came at message 75. <laughs> Proverbs fifteen sixteen says this. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. The biggest blessing most people see in life is having riches. But the scriptures describe the fear of the Lord as better. This is Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. If we'll be honest, we dream of having more treasure oftentimes, don't we? We dream of having more safety in our bank accounts, don't we? Or if we have the safety net in our bank account, we fear losing it. But have we ever thought, better than a big bank account, it's better to fear the Lord. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord. By the way, if you as a family are kind of one of these things where it's like, man, we are trying to live. We are, it, it, we don't, it doesn't seem like we have many dollars to rub together. But yet there is a love for the Lord and a fear of God in your home. It says that that's better. Psalms, chapter 31, verse 19. I just want to point to this idea that the fear of the Lord is not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. It's a good thing. That's why I'm calling it the blessing. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Psalm 31, 19 says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. Some of our, for us, we think the biggest blessing in life would be a robust bank account or a growing portfolio that doesn't get, get confiscated by the latest market downturn. But the scriptures describe the fear of the Lord as a much better investment. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up. That's kind of like investment saving words, right? Stored up for those who fear you. A blessed life is a life full of a robust biblical fear of the Lord. And there are dividends and there are savings accounts of that pouring out. All the years of fearing God. It, that there's blessing to it. It's a good thing. It pays off. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13. The, the preacher of Ecclesiastes Solomon says, Here's the end of the matter. All that has been heard... Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Years and years ago, the church I pastored in Wisconsin, the first um, expositional series I preached was actually through Ecclesiastes. Um, and really gave me some insight into Solomon. And basically, if you're reading Ecclesiastes, Solomon tries to go and get pleasure. And I mean, he goes epic. He goes in an epic way that you and I basically will never be able to accomplish, right? He had Basically, unlimited resources at his disposal. And when it came to houses, when it came to women, when it came to animals, when it came to anything that a man could want, when it came to pools and waterways, when it came to planting and vegetation, Solomon went epic. And I'm talking epic to the next level. You can't have, you know, you can't have hundreds of women and not have just tried to push it to the excess and to the, the biggest moment it could go. 
And you get to the end of Ecclesiastes after Solomon explores all this and tells everybody how futile all that kind of living is. And he says, here's the end of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. So Solomon even says the biggest blessing is not to enjoy everything that this, that this earth has to offer at an epic level. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is a blessed life. So we all want to live a blessed life. Psalm 34 in verse 8 through 10 says this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Just a side note, not part of the message. Here's one of the things I'll tell you. If you can ever develop a consistent time in his word and in prayer, do it for three weeks. And no one's going to have to guilt you to do it after that. It takes about three weeks to develop a habit. And once you taste and see that the Lord is good, you'll keep coming back. You want to know why some people really don't get excited about spending time in his word and spending time with him? It's really, it's really simple. You just haven't tasted that the Lord is good. Like you, If there's something tasty, you don't have to convince me to, to eat it. Okay, The evidence is clear. Okay, It's going to happen. When we get done today, I mean, we're going to have some food to eat. And the youth have, or today's another dessert sale where uh, the youth are selling their desserts and this money goes to um, raise money for them for their, uh, for their summer retreat. Don't worry if you didn't bring any money. Uh, they take IOUs uh, from what I understand, right? So you, your credit's good here at uh, Collierville Bible Church, right? Experian may not like it, but ours is good here. And so uh, there's going to be all sorts of desserts out there. Now, here's the thing. You're not going to have to convince me that any of those desserts are good because I have tasted of many desserts. I have tasted of sugar and the mixture of flour and eggs and frosting and all those really good things. You're not going to have to convince me because I've tasted it and I know it's good. So the psalmist says in 30, uh, Psalm 34, 8 through 10, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Then look at verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him will have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In our lives, we, we want to have the good things that the Lord has in life for us. We don't want to lack the basic necessities of life. But the scriptures indicate this idea of if you fear the Lord, you'll have lack of nothing. In fact, even this idea of don't be anxious about tomorrow. You know, some people say like, oh, Nick, I'm so anxious. I'm so anxious about I keep living in the land of what ifs. I, I, keep, I keep worrying about the future. I would say it's because you don't have a robust biblical understanding of the fear of the Lord. The more you fear the Lord, the more you trust the Lord. And in fact, we'll see this later on in the series. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll just kind of lay this out there to you. If you want to take some diagnostic of your soul, do, you really, do we really fear the Lord? Do we really trust him? You fear what you trust and you trust what you fear. In life, most of the time, we either fear man or we fear God. And then, in retrospect, we either trust man or we trust God. How do you know you're putting a lot of trust in man? When you think that unless man does what you want, there can be no joy and pleasure in life, then you are fearing God, you are fearing man or trusting man. The more we trust God, the more we fear God. The more we fear God, the more we trust God. 
So it's a blessing. The scriptures over and over. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30, talking about the excellent wife, which, by the way, just so you know, this was not a real woman. This is the idea of a virtuous wife. So don't worry, uh, wives, if you're kind of like, man, how did this lady pull this off? She did all these things. And then she was also able to invest in real estate. I mean, who is this? Okay, is this, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what lady who's famous now who has a lot of money and does all this kind of stuff. But, like, who is this kind of woman? It, it's describing the attributes of a godly woman and how far, uh, but it's not like a real woman. It's describing the virtuous woman, how far, how much she excels. But you find this one thing when you look in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30, and it describes the virtuous woman or the excellent woman, all the things that she's doing. But it comes to the end of Proverbs 31, 30 and says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The blessings of it. It's a good thing. It's a positive thing to fear the Lord. It's actually something we don't have to apologize for. We should freely be able to say to each other, man, brother, you fear the Lord. Praise God. And it not be a negative thing. It's a blessed thing. Which, by the way, and I know all of our women are too godly to let this bother you, but notice even the uniqueness of Proverbs 31.30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You know, there's so many women whose idea of achievement, idea of a good life is to have a beauty to the point that they're admired. And there are some women who would consider a beauty attainment, a certain weight and body style and dress and hair and facial structure. And that, that, that if I can just accomplish that, or they see a woman who may look like that and think, wow, she must have it all. She must have a happy life. I'll go, no, actually, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. It won't last forever, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What? Just a side note. Ever do this? And ever do this? Take an account of how much time is spent getting the outer man ready versus the inner man ready for the day, right? And a woman who fears the Lord will be one who says, hey, like, I got to make sure I'm putting emphasis on the outer, but, but the Lord's really concerned also with the inner. Now, don't walk away and go like, Nick just told us we can't wear makeup. <laughs> I'd say that. I'd say that, okay? Nick said we can't do our hair. Didn't say that. Nick said for us not to care. Didn't say that. What I am saying is, let every bit of beauty in the mirror remind you of how much to push into the beauty of the soul, a soul that fears the Lord. That will never be taken away. So even there's this thing that I've discovered with some, they fear the future, they fear of what will they look like, they fear wrinkles. The Bible actually describes wrinkles as a good thing. Growing and aging as a prize. And really what will never pass is someone who fears the Lord. It's a blessing. It's a great life to fear God. To be called a God-fearing person. That's a good, that's a high compliment to be paid. So as we go through the series, some questions would be, do you and I truly fear God? Do we fear him? Do we have the goodness of the fear of God in our life? And we'll see here in the coming weeks, if the fear of God's not there, the only alternative typically is the fear of man. And even when we don't fear God, there is a, uh, if you ever wonder like, why is so much 
junk of sin in my life, there's a lack of fear of God. A, a true fear of God will actually, will actually bring, some, um, will bring some repentance to a person's life. Look over at Proverbs 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 7. Let me just keep building this idea of just how blessed it is. It's a positive thing. It's a good thing. This should be a familiar text of Scripture. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Even the Scriptures say this is a good thing. Nothing bad about it. Parents, you know, sometimes, and I know this doesn't apply to us because all of our kids are sanctified, they're perfect, I get it. But even parents, I've seen this as parents, um, that there's a frustration with your children if they're not walking with the Lord. And it's, it's sometimes it's just this idea of, of like, I have, you almost get like a pride as a parent of like, well, I've done all these right things, maybe, you know, they should just be, they should be acting a certain way. And I would go, you know what? There's probably a part of their soul that you just can't touch that there's a genuine fear of the Lord that's, that's not there. And that's, that's a them and Jesus kind of thing. So we look right here at Proverbs. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom instruction. Even, even if you are at a place where you're living, you're, you're, you're a child or you're a teenager, you're living under the wisdom of your parents' house, they are called to... Uh, to discipline you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They're called to use discipline and instruction, those two elements, and using those differently as you mature. But there is this idea that even someone, even like a child in the home who is being given knowledge and wisdom, right? But they don't want to hear it. They will hear it from mom. They will not hear it from dad. They know better. Well, what's causing that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom instruction. Not only from the Lord, but I would say from your own parents. And you, and you can know this. Have you ever had your parents try to give you some wisdom instruction and in the back of your mind, all you could think is, I can't wait to get away from them right now. Right? Like I, I, I would, I mean, your face may be facing them, but, but everything else in your soul is already in another place. Right? I know that describes no children in our church, but what causes a person to do that? A lack of fearing God. A lack of fear in God. You don't have knowledge. You don't want it. Look in Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Once again, don't you see the blessings of fearing the Lord? The wisdom that it comes, knowing what the one true God is like. That's why um, I love studying about the Lord. I love studying different theology. I love studying theology. Theology is the study of God. I love studying his attributes. I love studying what he's like. In fact, we'll look here, and I believe it'll be our third message. We'll look at some of the attributes of God and how that is a part of us fearing the Lord. Unless we know the attributes of what God is like, uh, we won't fear the Lord. That's one of the reasons we don't fear him. We don't really know what he's like. So we see all over that this is a good thing. So I just want you to know, doing a message on the blessings of fearing the Lord, it, it, it's not a downer. It's not like, oh, man, Nick, man, he slammed the minor prophets on us, right? All 12, for like 90 messages. And man, here you go, Debbie Downer. Way to go, right? Fear the Lord. Like, no, this is actually a good thing. 
This is a positive thing. This is something that will pay dividends. This is kind of like buying Tesla stock 20 years ago or 15 years ago or Bitcoin. Don't you wish you would have bought a couple of Bitcoin when it first came out? I remember mocking it and thinking, this is ridiculous. Like, who's going to go for this kind of thing? And, and I know it's down, but man, if you bought it in the beginning, it's still way up. Well, what is that? You, you, you put a deposit in that has paid dividends. The fear of the Lord right now pays huge dividends for life, even the end of life. Now, um, take your Bible and you can turn over to Isaiah chapter 11. So I want to study this topic with you, this idea of the blessings of fearing the Lord. Just from an outset, the Bible describes it as a good thing. The Bible describes the fear of the Lord as a positive thing, right? A husband and wife. You know, the best things a husband and wife can actually do is develop a whole godly fear of the Lord. Husband, you'll start talking differently to your wife when you truly fear the Lord. Wife, you'll talk differently to your husband when you fear the Lord. Children, you'll, in fact, both. Parents, you'll talk differently to your kids when you actually fear the Lord. And children, you'll talk differently when you actually fear the Lord. In fact, fearing the Lord will even change how you interact with your employer. It'll change how you interact in all your relationships. It, it, it flows downhill from a love of God. It changes everything. Now, most of the time when you look in the Bible and you see the word fear, most of the time in the Old Testament, uh, there's a word called yar that's used. It's a Hebrew word, yar. And then a lot of times when you see in the New Testament, most of the time it's at the root word phobos, phobos. And when you start looking at these words, they have the nuanced meaning of dread, terror, afraid. And that's the thing we usually think when we see the word fear. And that's true. But also these words have the idea of reverence. And all. So Old Testament, the word yar, and New Testament, the word phobos, you typically see this dread, terror, afraid, reverence, and awe. You know, it's really difficult about the fear, about talking about the fear of God. It's almost something, sometimes it's so hard to describe, it's almost easier to see in your life. But that is, will be a good description. These multifaceted ideas of afraid, but also reverence for who he is. These things come together in a true godly fear of the Lord. So it's worth exploring. It's worth looking at the nuance of it. So when you take these, these two words, yard, and you take the word phobos, and you start looking at it, and you see dread, terror, afraid, reverence, awe, and people say, Nick, then give me one good definition of the fear of the Lord. I would say a reverent awe. If you just want like a... One definition, I would say a reverential awe of God. A reverential awe of God. Now, what I want to warn you is this. Don't take fear and sanitize it and just go, oh, don't fear God. He would never want that. You know, he, he's just a kind grandpa that would never want you to think. Just, yes, you're just amazed at what he's like. Just awe. And I would say you've stripped out that word. You've sanitized it. And you're not giving the full orb of it. Although... That, that is a huge part of it. A awe of who God is. An awesomeness. That when you say the word awe, you're admitting that God is awesome. That's not a cavalier word. A lot of times we do throw, a, a, throw that word awesome around. For instance, we have an ice cream. How was the ice cream? Man, that was awesome. I mean, it was good, right? It was good. It wasn't awesome, right? There's really only one that's truly awesome, right? That's someone that you have awe of. Watch, you're going to be in the car today and your kid's going to go, like, man, lunch was awesome. Don't you say that. 
You fear God. <laughs> so it's a reverential awe. I, this is worth exploring also because we are called to be in the image of Christ, right? And this is what our Messiah was, Jesus. He was one who feared God. In his humanity, in his incarnation, he was a perfect embodiment of what an obedient life looked like. And his obedient life included the fully orbed understanding of the fear of God. Go to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, talking about the Messiah to come. It says in Isaiah 11, 1, we're going to go 1 through 3, this messianic passage. For there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear. He comes from Jesse. Verse 2, and the Spirit of the Lord, this is talking, this is prophesying about the Christ to come. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and what does it say? Fear the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus' life was a life of obedience, reverence, awe in his humanity. Yes, he was 100% God, and, but in his humanity, he had a perfect fear of the Lord. This is why he was able to obey the Lord. He did not have a fallen, sinful nature like us. He had a human nature, not a fallen, sinful human nature like us. And part of, part of him still having that human nature, though, is he perfectly feared the Lord. There was a proper there was a proper obedience and respect. And there was a proper fear. A proper afraidness. And here's what I mean, afraidness. You remember in the garden, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but thine be done. Remember, he's going to the cross and he's saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was, the wrath of God was bearing down on him. There was a proper fear in his humanity of what it was going to be like to bear the wrath of God against man's sin. He is a perfect example of someone who had an appropriate fear of the Lord. And I would say this, his life was a blessed life. He didn't have a lot of money. A lot of his friends turned against him. But Isaiah says, here's one who feared the Lord. And look at this. And his what? In verse 3. His what? His delight shall be the fear of the Lord. Everybody turned against him in the most pivotal point to the cross. Even the Father had to bear down his wrath. But the pleasure of God, the joy set before him, was obeying the Father's will to become the atoning sacrifice. And why is that? Because he delighted in the fear of God. That was his delight. You know what's awesome? Is the more we fear God, we delight so much more in the God. This is why I say the blessings, like Jesus' life was blessed because he delighted in the fear of the Lord. If we're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, a delightful life is one that fears the Lord. That's why I'm saying this is a blessed thing. I don't want to talk about this emotion to our church body because I want it to be like the Debbie Downer kind of thing. I'm talking to you because the scriptures promote this as a very positive, good thing for our souls. Even our Savior, perfectly delighting for the joy that was set before him. A perfect fear of the Lord. Now, take your Bible and look over at Psalm chapter 33, verse 6 through 9. Let's, let's kind of look and go back. The blessings of fearing the Lord, that's the title of this message. That's the title of the series. But I want to kind of drill down back at that definition of the fear of the Lord. This reverential awe. 
Why do we come to that definition? Where do we get that definition? Why have we tried to give you that just as a way to, um, just as a way to kind of nuance the understanding of it? Because a lot of times when you say the fear of God, people just think purely afraid. Remember, that is one aspect of it. That's not the only aspect of fearing the Lord, but it's definitely an aspect of it. And if I would say anything, I think God's people have forgot that aspect of the fear of God. I, I really do. I and mean, we're going to see it in a minute when we look at Hebrews 12. But first, look at Psalms chapter 33, verse 6 through 9. Psalm chapter 33, 6 through 9. I, this is where we get to some, down and drill down to some of the definition. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So the psalmist is saying everything was made by the Lord, by his own breath. Everything, everything you see, made out of nothing. It's him. Verse 7. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. So it's just claiming the, the absolute, unmatched, unrivaled power of God in his creative work. By his very breath, he created it all. Then he says in verse 8, as a result of this, as a result of this, let all the earth fear the Lord. You should fear this God because there is no one else so powerful that can do all this and it's, and it's like nothing to him. It didn't even exhaust the guy. Then he says in verse 9, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So we see this idea that even the psalmist is saying, fear the Lord, be in awe of him. So this is where we get this idea, some of like trying to mix this together, and we're calling fear this reverential awe. You could call it a fearful awe, if you're wanting to... Some, I've even heard some say a fearful awe, so that they still get the, the, the afraid part of fear, but they're also capturing the majestic wonderfulness of God, the awe of who God, right? So if you want to call it a, a, a fearful awe, or... A reverential awe. I think those are probably scripturally kind of some of the best definitions to encapsulate what does this mean when we talk about this topic? What does this mean in its fully orbed understanding from the Hebrew word yar and the Greek word phobos of terror, dread, reverence, and awe? Putting those all together in the full nuance of that word fear. So we see the psalmist here capturing this idea of fear and awe. These in awe of the absolute unmatched, unrivaled power of God to create. And him doing that lets him know that there is a genuine fear of the Lord that we should have, that he is so holy, he is so other. A God so powerful has got to be submitted to. A guy by the name of Jerry Bridges has said this, depending on the situation and the object of all, we could include this idea of fear, dread, respect, reverence, admiration, and amazement. And I think that's when you look at this text, you would see this happening in the psalmist. So we see this reverence for God's worth and his admiring of his attributes, looking at his infinite love. Even here, you can see this idea, fear and awe of him, looking at what he does. But let's even look at the New Testament because someone go, okay, Nick, fine. That's all Old Testament, right? Old Testament. Here's what some people think. The Old Testament is just basically junior high God, right? And he's just kind of mad in the Old Testament, and then he grows up and is full of grace. So a lot of people would go, okay, God was angry in the Old Testament. This is what a lot of people think. It's erroneous, it's wrong, but they would go, 
Okay, the fear of God, that's just an Old Testament idea. Okay, detach it from the New Testament. We don't see that at all in the New Testament. And then I would say, oh, really? Oh, really? We'll do this. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. Actually, before you look at Hebrews 12, why not do this? I didn't plan on I just want to throw this in there. He, Matthew 10, just for, for those of you who, who may be doubters. Matthew 10, 28. Here's what Jesus says. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. This is Matthew 10, 28, right? So he basically says, don't fear man. Don't fear him who the most he can do is actually kill you. By the way, that's why we don't, that's why we don't fear man. Because that's the most anybody can do. Like, what's the worst someone could do to you? Kill you. Now, no, I'm not trying to make light of that. But really, when we're kind of calibrated right and the fear of God is proper in our life, if that were to happen, we could go like, oh, great, I just get to be with the Lord, right? Or if someone were to say, you know what, I'm just like with Paul. I'm going to beat you and put you in prison. And Paul's like, okay, great. I'll just tell everybody about Jesus, right? Why is that? Because he had a fear of the Lord, right? He had a fear of the Lord. Therefore, verse 28, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But then it says this, rather fear him who can destroy both body and and soul in hell. Oh yes. Just as much as there's the fear of God in the Old Testament. There is the fear of God in the New Testament. Right? So it, it, that's not a proper look at God. God is not one way in the Old Testament. Another way in the New Testament. He is the consistent, same, unchanging God. All through from Genesis to Revelation. And still today. His character is consistent. It has never changed. He has never repositioned him for, for history to change. He is what he is. So, he even says here, fear me today. Fear both him who can destroy body and soul in hell. Now, some people, I would tell you this. Some people would say, don't tell people, don't scare people that they need Jesus, you know, when you tell them about the gospel message. And I would say, I don't know if you're being truthful if you don't tell them the full truth of Scripture. So, if you're here and, and Jesus is not your Lord and King, you've not bowed the knee, you've not trusted in him, you've not repented of your sinfulness, you've not realized that you can't save yourself, that your sins have condemned you, and that the only way to escape the condemnation of your sins is that you would bow the knee, confess that you are a sinner in need of His grace, and through God's gift of salvation, through the work of His Son, you accept that and follow Him. Now listen, some would say, don't tell people if they don't do that, they'll go to hell. And I would say, well, I'm not being, that's, that's not being honest with the fear of the Lord. Yes, that's what will happen. Yes, a person will spend eternity, no matter how many good deeds they do. If Jesus is not your Lord and King, you will spend eternity in hell taking on the wrath of God. And it will not be good. And it will not be pleasurable. And it will be terrifying. That's the truth. And some would go, well, you can't say that. Like, why not? Because the scriptures actually say it. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. No, we should actually fear God. Now I would tell you this, just like, remember, the word fear is the idea of, of, of terror, afraid, but also the aspect of fear of God is also the aspect of reverence and awe. So I would tell you this, if you come to Christ because you're afraid of hell, you're afraid of the judgment of your sin, I would go, that, 
brother, that's fine. Sister, that's fine. Man, what a great motivation to get you stirred. What a great motivation today to call out to Jesus and take communion with us, right? Like that, that'd be a great motivation. Now I would tell you this, don't stop there, okay? That's, that's not the end of the matter. And in fact, that's what you find sometimes where people come to Christ only to get fire insurance, right? And then they don't discover all the awesomeness of what the one true God is like. They don't discover what he is like. They don't discover what his character is like. So they miss a fully orbed fear of the Lord. Their fear of the Lord is only terror. They don't have the other side, a reverential awe of what God is like. So even like today, fearing the Lord. I, as a believer, I fear his disciplined hand. This is one aspect of why I follow him, but another aspect of following him is I am all of his character. I am in all of what he is like. I am all of his supreme power. I am in all of he sees all, he knows all, he controls all. Nothing has caught him. He doesn't slumber or sleep or get tired. There is no exhausting of him. I even, I mean, I'm in awe of him that in glory someday, I will not just automatically have all the knowledge that God has. I will be learning for all eternity, learning for all eternity. That's how infinite God is. I'll never be able to exhaust the wonders and knowledge of what the one true God is like, even with a, even when the curse is gone and the mind's working better and the body's working better and he's the center and the light of glory, I will be forever learning and learning and learning about his character. Is that exhaustive? That's that awe and wonder kind of part that, yes, I fear him in the sense of afraid of his disciplined hand, but I also want to come closer to him because I've tasted and seen that he's good and I've tasted and seen what his character is like. And why would I not want to worship a God like this? So we look at Hebrews chapter 12 and get some ideas of this. Idea of fearing the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12. I hope as we get through this series, we go through it, I, I hope you're, we, we get a fully orbed idea that there should be an afraidness and a terror and dread in the fear of the Lord. We really should. For instance, if any of us are on purpose going after sin in our life, God will deal with that if we're his children. And we should fear that. Now, we don't have to fear condemnation in that moment, but we should fear his discipline. Look right here. Look in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, My son, this is Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Then it says, if it is for discipline that you have to endure, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, of which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. It basically says, if you don't receive the disciplined hand of the Lord, then you aren't his child. Like, actually be excited, be, be overjoyed when you receive his disciplined hand. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them, we reverenced them. I mean, like, we've all had a fa- father that, that was, it was fearful to be disciplined by him, but that didn't cause us to hate him to this day. I mean, my dad, my dad disciplined me growing up, and believe me, um, I was not as perfect as I perceive myself to be now, right? And growing up, 
Man, I was a little um, rabscallion, right? That was the best word I could come up with. A little rabscallion, right? I was disciplined. But I don't hate my dad today for that. I reverence him. In fact, I still reverence him today. I, I, I would still maneuver my life to minister and to honor him today. Um, I got a great story that I'll tell you here at over our family meal of having a chance to still honor, but just some, some good things. But I still honor and reverence him today for all the, dis, I mean, all the discipline he did never changed that. He says this, Shall we not much more subject to the Father of spirits and live in verse 9? says in verse 10, For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness so that we would be holy as he is holy. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. God's discipline seems painful. That's a negative. That's an afraid. That's a, it's, it doesn't feel good. But rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Even, even the, the Lord's discipline handleness is something that we should fear. It's not a good thing. It's a, and in fact, from like an earthly perspective, it's a painful thing. But in the end, it's a holy and sanctifying thing. It's something that is meant to conform us. It's the word to share in his holiness. Look at verse 12. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. He's saying, therefore, it's time to walk out of sin. It's time to quit being so weak need. Your hands are dropping. You're discouraged. Make straight paths for your feet, he says in verse 13. So that which is lame may be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness... No one will see the Lord. He says, now you can be holy. The Lord's discipline handling you is good. It energizes you. This is a good thing. Fear him. Now, if you think, oh, well, I don't really see that message. Well, look at the very end of Hebrews chapter 12. He, if you keep going through chapter 12, he, he goes into the idea of this temporary world and then God has actually something much better. He has the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, something that can't be changed. And then then as he speaks about this heavenly gift to come someday, he says in verse 28, therefore, as a result of this in Hebrews 12, 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that could not be shaken. He's talking about the kingdom of God that's coming for you, right? That's never going to go away. The earth will be shaken and judged, but the kingdom of God will not be. That's your kingdom. It's coming. Mount Zion is coming. Then he says this, and let us offer to God acceptable worship as a result with reverence and what the fear of the lord now you may be going like nah i don't know if i see it well look what he says after that for our god is a consuming fire now what's interesting is what he's actually looking back if you read hebrews 12 and you're looking at hebrews 12 and and um in verse 18 through 20 you actually find he's referencing actually exodus chapter 12 right look at exodus chapter 12 um, 20, I'm sorry. Look at Exodus chapter 20. Uh, What I'm trying to do is paint a picture for you. The fear of the Lord is still something that believers must have. I've heard people go, well, now that you're in Christ, you you shouldn't fear the Lord. And I would go, wrong. Read your Bible. Still fear the Lord. You don't have to fear his condemnation, but you must fear his discipline. I mean, I'm, I'm for real. We don't. This is why we keep walking into sin. We don't fear God. Notice this, referencing back to that passage in Hebrews 12. It says, our God is a consuming fire. 
He's referencing back when the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments, receiving the law of God. And you look at chapter 20, verse 18. It says this, And when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of trumpet, this is Exodus twenty eighteen, and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They were afraid and fearful what the one true God giving his law, Mount Sinai, and Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test us that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. So he says, it's really kind of funny. Don't fear God, but fear him. Like if you fear him, then you won't go into sin. This passage is what Hebrews 12 is pointing to. So this idea of God's disciplined hand in Hebrews 12 ties to the holiness and discipline of the Lord that he's mentioning to them about his law and about about coming close to him in an irreverent way. It still points over to this idea that that God is a holy God and doesn't put up with sin. Even at the very end, the in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, our God is a consuming fire. Speaking of the very fire of God that was there at Mount Sinai. What is the author of Hebrews 12 trying to get across? He's trying to get the, across the idea that we should still, in a godly, child of God, I'm a son of God kind of way, fear God. And I think we've lost it. I really do. I think Christians have lost that idea. They've lost that reverence for God. We've sanitized God. We've created something about God's character that is not true and accurate. The fear of the Lord. Now as I end with this thought. When you look through the scriptures, and you kind of caught this in the message. The blessedness of fearing the Lord. Um, there's, two, there's two nuances of, of fearing the Lord. There is fearing him like you would if you were a slave. Right? If you were, do you remember Matthew 25? And this is the parable of, um, the, parable of the talents, right? You remember the third guy remember the first two guys they invested what the lord gave them and the lord came back and said well done that good and faithful servant you've been faithful over little you know enter you into the joys of the lord then there's that third guy remember you remember the third guy he said show me what you got and the third guy said i wouldn't hid your talent because i i knew that you were a hard man and i was afraid so i hid it and you know the problem is the guy didn't catch the guy didn't catch the right character of god so he goes and hides and he was afraid he was fearful he was because he didn't know the one true God in, in, in that parable. He didn't know what the what the, the the true giver of the talent was. So he hides it because he's afraid. It's that kind of condemnation slave kind of fear. It was a fear of the master. But the kind of fear that we're to have is not the fear of the master. It's really it's the fear of the father. Right. That's the kind of fear that we're to have. And when I say the fear of the Father, I'm not talking about lackadaisical, you can get away. It's a fear of the Father, just like an earthly father, who disciplines their sons so that they can walk in holiness. I think we forgot that that's the same kind of God that still works for believers' life. God is still calling us to holiness. We see in Hebrews 12 that God disciplines his people, his children, for holiness. If we're going to... The greatness and the blessing and the joy and the goodness and the greatness of fearing God for us or of those in Christ is that we actually should be afraid of his disciplined hand and know that he will use his disciplined hand to drive us into holiness, to conform us to his image. While at the same time, don't forget that reverence in all aspect, that that's 
the fully orbed understanding of the fear of the Lord. That, that one of the ways that we fight sin is not only his fearful disciplined hand, but also knowing what his character is like. Remember Psalm 33, taste and see that the Lord is good, then fear him and be in awe of him. I mean, this is one of the ways that actually sometimes we're fighting sin in our life is just how good he is. Like we're rehearsing the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. I mean, what, what motivates you today to repent? Of, like for instance, why, why would you want to love your wife like Christ loved the church? Why would, why, would you, why would you want to love your spouse? Why would you want to be sacrificial for anybody? Why would we want to give the gospel? Why would we want to be sacrificial with our giving? Why would we want to do anything? It would be this idea of we're so fearful of the Lord, not only of his disciplined hand, but also at the same time, he is so magnificent. And if Jesus could give all, why can't I give all of myself? If Jesus could sacrifice himself, why can't I sacrifice himself? If Jesus can say, life is not really about me, but what I can do to serve others, then why can't our life be more about serving others and not just doing this wicked idea of self-esteem just to kind of make much of ourselves and exalt ourselves? What it takes is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Worship team, you can make your way up here. And I want to pray, and we're going to have a time of singing to the Lord. And my prayer is this. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to do this today. I'm going to pray a prayer of, of, of salvation that I prayed when I became a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're here, and the Lord has convicted you, and you are afraid, and you're fearful. You're fearful that you will be condemned for your sins, and you've never trusted Christ. He's not Lord and King. I would say you should be fearful. And, and what God commands you to do today is to repent and believe. That's what God wants. So I'm going to pray something that I prayed at 16. Um, and this is what it looked like. And you can do this as well. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's a heart of repentance. And so I'm going to pray that prayer. And then we're going to have a time of singing to the Lord. Father, I'm delighted that we can pray to you. And I can remember the fear of the Lord as an unbeliever. I remember I can remember being afraid, understanding in your word. I remember it being afraid of the judgment and wrath of God against me coming. I remember discovering it in your word, and I, would, and I deserved it. But I also remember the promise of Scripture, that I will confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I would be saved. So God, right now, if there's someone who's not done that, even a prayer of faith that only you could give, a prayer like, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've broken your commandments, broken your law. I've rebelled against you. And Jesus, you have taken and absorbed the wrath of that rebellion. Thank you. Lord, come into my life. Holy Spirit, come come into my world. Be inside of me. I confess that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Let me, help me to live for you. Help me to follow you and trust you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for raising from the dead. Thank you that there's no doubts. Thank you for making me your child. In Jesus' name, amen.